Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Sports Cards Anonymous video. Thanks so much for being here. And Rich, thank you so much for being here. Hey, glad to do it anytime. Yeah, so um, for everybody out there, this is Rich Miller. He is the editor of Sports Collectors Daily, a phenomenal website that whether you realize it or not, you've probably read quite a few articles from in your in your phones, your news feed uh, throughout the day. So Rich, thanks for being here. And uh, let's just get this started with, you know, Sports Collectors Daily. What's the site? You know, how did you start it? What's the story behind it? Yeah, it was, uh, it's been actually just celebrated our 15th anniversary um, in this summer, late June, early July is kind of when it got off the ground. It, it, interestingly enough, that was the time, the last time that the National Sports Collectors Convention was held on the West Coast, which for people in, in the hobby that go to the National can kind of go, wow, that was a long time ago. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, I was a sports anchor and reporter for many years at uh, local television stations and always been a collector and just kind of saw the move that the media was taking from print to online at the time. It was already pretty well underway and mm -hmm. didn't see uh, anything in the hobby that was kind of really getting serious about doing that. Um, and so I, and, and as big as the hobby was, I just thought we, we really needed sort of a daily newspaper for the, for the industry hobby, whatever you want to call it. And so I thought, well, you know, let's give it a shot. This is what I do for a living anyway now. So let's, let's see if we can start small and, and see where it goes. And luckily, you know, it, it took a while, like anything, um, you know, it's hard to be an instant success, but it took a couple of years to really get off the ground, to get some traction, to get people to find our stories. And um, we attracted some advertisers and obviously that helped because it wasn't something that I wanted to do just for fun. <laughs> I wanted to see if we could actually make a profit from it, make a living from it eventually. Um, and I, I was able to do that. So it's it's been a long trip. Um, just looking the other day, we have over 16,000 pieces of content now that we've written uh, articles that have been written by me and and the uh the uh, freelance people that i have that that write for us and do a great job um contributing as well so it's just been it's been a long ride um and there's there's tons of content and some of the stuff that i run across i don't even remember writing anymore it's been so long, but <laughs> it's uh, it's been fun to look back and see kind of chronicle the the hobby as it's been over the last 15 years because there's been a ton of changes and website um we don't appeal to one try not to appeal just to one particular group you know not it's not just about new cards it's not just about vintage cards it's about everything going on in the hobby in terms of uh, you know we cover everything from fraud to uh new card releases great fines when somebody you know there's we discover that someone's made a tremendous fine that's that's worth a, a lot of money or some really interesting cards right about that uh, auction results, previews of auctions, anything you can imagine, authentication, um, chances are there's at least five or six articles on it and probably a lot more. Yeah, I, I definitely find what I like about your site is that it, it is a wide variety of, of articles. And then so for me, like it's a good thing to keep up with like, okay, you know, here's an article about vintage. Here's an article about, you know, top signing a deal with yeah. Japan, you know. And so, you know, you really, I, you, you really do cover I want to say the whole hobby, but you know, a wide, wide breadth of it for sure. It's kind of a digest, I guess, of, of, uh, and we try to paint a picture of what's happening, um, in the market as a whole, because, you know, some people collect both vintage and modern, and there are industry people who are more interested actually in what's going on with the trading card companies or who's buying who, what company's buying who, yeah. um, that sort of thing. So it's, uh, it's somebody described it as the Wall Street Journal of the sports collecting industry, which I thought was a really great compliment. And that is kind of what it is, is you know, you, you'll find feature stories and 
um, all different kinds of things along those lines, but also kind of the nuts and bolts of what goes on behind the scenes and what's happening. Um, and that's especially important with what's happening uh, in the hobby over the last 12, 18 months and what's going on right now. It's just a phenomenal, uh, it's been a phenomenal ride for, for people who have been in it for a while and see what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. And so you had mentioned, you know, you started this company, but you were already in the hobby when that happened. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey in the hobby, how it started for you and uh, kind of what it is you enjoy about the hobby? Yeah, I, I'm old enough to have opened a pack of cards in the 1960s. <laughs> I was a little, little kid, but I was I, I did do it. And I, I actually uh, was able to uh, uh, have still have some of the cards that I opened back. then. of course, I opened a pack of 1967 Philadelphia football cards when I was a little tiny kid. And like any little tiny kid in the who opened cards back before they were worth anything, I wrote on them. If I liked the guy, he got a big red heart on the front of him. If I didn't like him, I wrote bad on the front <laughs> of him. That was, that was, uh, that's how far back I go. But um, I, I collected a lot of, uh, you know, like everybody else that kind of grew up in the 70s and 80s, I was mostly a set collector. I collected mm. to complete sets. Um, I didn't really hoard rookie cards. I did a little bit, but not much. Um, but that was the goal, you know, when you, when you collected at that time, uh, the thing was you wanted as much as you could get of everything. And, and it was mm -hmm. maybe not a realistic goal, but with tops having the license for only for, for basically everything, baseball, football, basketball, and hockey, occasionally you'd have, um, you know, regional sets and things that were issued. And we collected those too, because there were, there just wasn't anything else. There wasn't autographed relic cards. There wasn't, um, you know, high end, low end. It was kind of just, you had the one set occasionally tops would do, you know, sidebar sets. And boy, that was exciting when they came mm -hmm. out with something like that, because it was something different. You got your cards and baseball cards in January, February, March. And when that was done, you were like, okay, now what? Um, so when they put out these new sets, uh, limited, the smaller uh, kind of niche sets, uh, that was always exciting. Um, but I, that's kind of what I still am as a collector of, of cards uh, sets. I've, I've grown a little bit in terms of just buying some sort of iconic players and things just to have those. Um, uh, Honus Wagner, Colgan's chips card, and um, just some different things that I think are maybe a little bit undervalued or um, just fun to own. But I'm also a collector of, of uh, vintage World Series programs and things like that, oh, nice. which yeah. I think are really undervalued. I mean, not, not necessarily undervalued from a financial standpoint, but just kind of underappreciated. Um, I like that kind of stuff. You can page through it and kind of feel the history, um, whereas cards, fun as they are, don't really have that it's it's not very interactive you know it's just you know fun to own but not really uh there's not a lot of depth there you know once you get past the front and the back um and programs and yearbooks and things like that really offer that um kind of unique uh, little perspective and i have things like heartland statues from the 60s and that kind of stuff um don't have a huge room to display them also which is kind of good and bad <laughs> i uh i don't have uh you know kind of kind of limits me to what I can have because there's just a finite amount of room as I'm sure a lot of people can identify with. Um, but also uh, it's, it's, it's good in that uh, I don't lose track of stuff because I know right where it is. <laughs> Fair enough. Is there a specific world series program you particularly like? Yeah. The, the 1919 uh, black Sox mm. uh, reds world series um, obviously, you know, was just a humongous story in baseball and still today, you know, we, we talk about it. A couple of years ago with the 100th anniversary was uh, talked about a lot more. But I, I think just having that, and I also have a couple of ticket stubs, but having that in your hands and wondering what the person who originally bought that at the game was thinking as mm -hmm. this was all unfolding. 
um, the scandal, of course, with the gambling and, and just what, what were they thinking when they had this program and saw what was happening on the field? Did they wonder that it was, you know, maybe something nefarious going on behind the scenes? Um, did they follow the coverage of it in the papers? Um, which, you know, and, and then as the years unfolded and it came out exactly what happened. Um, so it's just, it's just sort of a neat slice of history that you can look at and thumb through and, and just imagine what it was like at that time. That's probably my favorite. Um, I also have um, just some from the later years, too. In the 60s, um, there were some great performances. You know, Bob Gibson with the strikeouts and uh, Lou Brock stealing seven bases in a World Series. Um, it's just uh, things like that that are really, really kind of cool. I have another one from the 30s that was uh, from a game at Sportsman's Park in St. Louis. Um, and the person who owned it actually taped the ticket stubs inside the program, which obviously kind of hurts the value of both a little bit. But at the same time, it's kind of neat because they also wrote, you know, who was in attendance and the attendance of the game. And it was just kind of their little chronicle of a trip, you know, maybe from a little farming community, who knows, out in St. Louis, because you could tell it was a special thing. You know, they, they went to the game and, and uh, saved this for many years. Uh, just, just sort of things like that, I think, are really fun. Wow. Yeah, that's great. And uh, looking in your shot behind you, can you, what's on the wall there? Yeah, that's a 1976 Topps uncut sheet. Um, above that is kind of a unique little piece of art. If I can move my hat out of the way, there's a woodcut, uh, 19th century woodcut, which are really undervalued. You can buy those really cheap, and they're actually from that time frame. Uh, Harper's woodcut. And then some of my sets over here on the left. Those boxes are not full, unfortunately. They're uh, empty display boxes just kind of for, for show, I guess. <laughs> you know, kind of interesting. I, I'd been thinking about – because, well, you know, I started in 1999. And, but still then, Tops was doing Tops collections, which I guess they still do. But, you know, in the early 2000s, they had football, baseball, basketball. And I put out a Twitter post, I, just a poll. I was like, you know, would you like Panini to do complete sets for Prism? It got, you know, 150 responses, and so, funny enough, it was split completely even down the middle, yes and no. And I was like, man, that's, it's kind of funny, just to your earlier point about how, you know, earlier collecting was set collecting, and we really moved as an industry, as a hobby, you know, we yeah. really moved away from that over time. Yeah, it's been a, it's, that's probably been one of the biggest changes ever, I think, in the hobby. Um, and it's just how things developed, how, how it evolved, and, and obviously the card companies are, catering to what people are asking for. And in, when Upper Deck came in, that changed a lot uh, because they put out what was in 1989, kind of sounds funny looking back now and seeing the cards, but what was considered then a high-end card. You know, they had a yeah. hologram on the back and it was a thin, thin stock and it was just a different look. And then Leaf in 1990 came out with their high-end set. Um, but then it evolved into game-used uh, memorabilia, autograph cards were first. Obviously, Upper Deck again was first with those. So that they kind of responded. All the companies responded to what Upper Deck did, um, and just sort of took it and ran with it from there. Um, and that's kind of what we came into, I guess, now with the massive amount of sets and the parallels and um, autograph cards and autograph parallels and relic cards and um, one of ones and all that kind of stuff. It's if you are truly old school collector, and I hear a lot of complaints on our Facebook page from people who who uh, don't like the way it's gone, um, you, you probably don't like all that. But, you know, I think I always point back to when I was a kid growing up, if I had a chance to own some of these cards, even one or two, it would have been, wow, you know, I can't believe you can actually buy a, buy a card that has a piece of a player's jersey on it right. or an autograph on there. That, one, that was just not, nobody even had thought of that. 
Um, so it's it's amazing what some of the new cards have come to look like. And you were never, you know, I always tell people this who complain about, well, there's too much stuff out there. There's too many sets. There's too many boxes. You were never going to own it all anyway. So what are you complaining about? I mean, there's there's it's it's just nonsensical to think even 30 years ago that you would have owned every card that was ever made unless you were extremely wealthy and had a lot of time on your hands. So it, it, it is what it is. And you have to kind of figure out a way to enjoy it on your own terms, you know, whether you like um, new cards or if that turns you off, then go back and buy some more vintage cards. If you like, uh, you know, new stuff and, and you love all the different things that come with it, then focus on a certain player or, buy what you can afford, what you like, and just have fun with it. It's supposed to be a hobby. It's not supposed to be stressful, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, speaking of this, kind of staying in this, this state of uh, this mindset, I guess, you know, all these changes we've seen, I mean, everyone knows, hobby explodes the last three years. Prices are crazy. That You know, it's an insane amount of people in the hobby. Uh, you know, hobby's relatively healthy. I think most people, you know, if you were collecting 10 years ago, you would certainly, I think, look at today's market and say it's healthy. Um, I mean, what about the hobby changes over the last few years, decade? However, you picked a time frame. What, what have you enjoyed about the changes that the hobbies faced or seen? Well, I, I think you know certainly it's it's been unlike anything could have anyone could have ever ever anticipated. Yeah. Um, the amount of interest that, I've seen more stories written in media, and when I say media, I mean everything from you know, tech media to the Wall Street Journal to the New York Times to uh, network television stories. I mean, it's it's been remarkable. Um, and I think that exposure, if you're in the buying and selling business, I'm not really. But if you're in that business, you have to be incredibly happy because the pool of buyers now has just exploded. Um, if you're in the breaking business and people get wind of that, you have a huge pool of people now. Oh, so yeah. um, it's it's. Yeah, from a business standpoint, it couldn't possibly have gone any better the last few years. Um, yes, there are a lot of, and, and there's so many different ways. I guess now you have fractional investing, you know, with uh, Collectible and Rally and Otis and companies that are offering, you know, little pieces, even though you'll never own the card, maybe never even see physically the card in your hands, you can own a piece of it. Um, and you don't have, you know, you don't have to do this. People complain about those companies sometimes. It's like, you know, nobody's forcing you to do this. If you don't want to participate, don't participate. But for people who do like it, you know, it's cool to say, hey, I own, you know, I think it's cool to say I own, you know, 20 shares of a high-end Mickey Mantle and just follow it. I'm not really an investor, but it's still fun to see where that card goes, even, you know, for a small amount of money. Um, who doesn't? Why not have that as an option, whether you want to participate or not? So it's just, uh, you know, just an expansion of we're seeing things that a lot of people never thought could happen or never thought could be done before that are that are going on. And, um, you know, I, I hear a lot of talk about bubbles bursting and that sort of thing. I, I, I'm not seeing that in the next couple of years. And, I, and I'm as a reporter, I'm kind of, you know, naturally a little bit skeptical and, and a little bit inquisitive about, you know, what's happening in these public relations efforts as it really and all this talk about the you know the explosion of the hobby is it really all what it's cracked up to be and you know honestly there are a lot of people with a lot of money who are investing in this hobby uh in this industry and they're not dumb people they're not going to put millions of dollars into something that they don't believe in so i i think from that standpoint you know we're, we're going to see even more this might be just the beginning of what we'll see and the different changes that'll take place um 
will they all be for the better? Probably not. You know, that's kind of the nature of, of things, uh, nature of business. You know, things will work. Some things will not work. Um, but we'll have to we'll have to just kind of follow up. It's going to be uh, it's going to be an interesting next few years for sure. Yeah, I mean, just great perspective there. Thanks for sharing that. I, and <laughs> I was certainly bearish on this market um, a year ago. You know, I started the channel, this channel about 10 months ago, January-ish, right? But again, I've been in the hobby for a long time. And this whole, you know, up until I started my channel, I was just like, this is a bubble. It's going to burst. You people are crazy. You know, I, I, saw, I, I grew up in this dead era. I call it the dead era of sports cards, you know, from 2000 to 2018 or whatever. And I just didn't believe it. But now the more that I've gone away from just being a collector in my corner, doing my own thing and being more public and interacting with people more, I'm like, oh, no. But we're still at the beginning stages of this. There's so many people with deep pockets that are really interested in the hobby. I think it gives it a lot of staying power moving forward. Yeah, I, I think, and, and you mentioned, you know, your channel, there are many, many people who have who have gotten into the hobby because of what they see online. You know, it's it's part of the media as we see it today. YouTube and Instagram and things like that that people utilize. Um, Facebook, of course, Twitter are, are both, you know, longer term things that, that people have interacted with. But yeah, and they're, they're finding it so many different ways. You mentioned your YouTube channel and, and the social media angle. They're finding it through our, our, our end. So it's sure. there's just a lot of different uh, ways to enter it. And the more it's in the public eye, the bigger it, it gets. And we'll see some new things coming up with uh, we're, you know, we're going to see a reality TV show with golden auctions that's going to launch here shortly. That'll obviously bring a lot of people into the tent if it's even remotely successful. Um, so, uh, and so many of these athletes, I think we'll see making, because they have a stake now in, in this fanatics yep, business yep. that's taking over trading cards, the leagues and the, the players have a stake in this. So they're not going to just sit back and, you know, let things happen the way they've happened for the last 40, 50, 60 years, um, they're going to take an active role in promoting this, in engaging in different things that put more light on it for, for people who are just sports fans. And then you take Fanatics business in general. And I'm not saying that everything Fanatics does or will do is going to be great. I'm just saying this is what's going to probably happen is that, you know, for their investment, they're going to get all these people together and and uh, try to spread the gospel, if you will, of, of cards and and uh, collecting. And so uh, I think, you know, we'll see more visibility from players and leagues and teams and uh, on the sports collectible market like we've never seen before. Yeah. And keep, keep going with that, you know, in, in your gut, you know, fanatics, their coup of the hobby, their overtake, you know, overthrow coming in, monopolize everything, whatever. And I don't want to, I don't want to frame this as bad or anything, but you know, they want to be, they want to have their hands in everything. You know, in your gut, you know, what do you believe long term? Do you think Fanatics coming in, you know, fresh new company with a lot of ideas, you think that's going to be good for the hobby or Fanatics coming in, owning everything, you think it's going to be bad for the hobby? Well, people forget that Topps had a essentially a monopoly for many, many years before Panini and Upper Deck. And, you know, I mean, going back to score and sports, um, you know, that was kind of the end of it, 80, 81, when Fleer and Donners came in. And then, of course, it, it expanded beyond that. Mm -hmm. But they had a monopoly for a long time. And so, you know, I, I'm not sure it's necessarily all bad just because Fanatics may be running all of it. In some ways, it may make it a little bit easier for collectors. Um, I, I hope that they have their... 
I hope they have the entire hobby in their scope and they're not just going to focus on the buying, selling, uh, money-making aspect of it. I hope that they are sensitive to, I hate to use the word true collectors, but people that aren't in this to make a lot of money, that aren't in this to flip a card for a mm -hmm. higher amount of money, because the base of this hobby, and all you have to do is walk around the National Sports Collectors Convention and you'll see it. The, the base, the heart of this hobby is not the people that are flipping cards. It's the guys walking around with wantless, whether it's to fill sets, whether it's for players, whether it's for, you know, filling out a, a team set, a Hall of Fame rookie card checklist, whatever mm -hmm. they're trying to do. That's the, the larger base of the hobby are those people. And I hope that they don't forget that. I hope their, their focus is not just on, okay, I, you know, here's some packs, open this pack, get it graded, get it, get it sold, then somebody else buys it and flips it. And I hope they don't just focus on those people. Uh, because I think that'd be a huge mistake. Um, you know, Topps Legacy, it, the, 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 if you look at Fanatic's own website, and hopefully they're smart enough and they've seen this, Fanatic's biggest sellers in the sports card category have always been the Topps factory set because grandma is buying it for her grandson or granddaughter at Christmas time. Mm -hmm. Yep. Or yep, they're yep. buying them a box because they know they're a collector. They don't really know what they're buying, but they see it on fanatics website because it's a mammoth website with a lot of sports stuff. That looks like fun. I'll buy that. And then there are just collectors out there who don't engage with my website, YouTube, anything else. They focus on just buying one set a year, whether it's football, baseball, Typically, it's baseball, but you know, football, basketball, hockey, whatever. And they'll buy a complete set every year just because it's tradition. Or they'll buy a couple of boxes every year because it's tradition. Um, those are the biggest sellers on Fanatic's website. It, are those generic products? Um, I, 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 say, I say generic not to demean them, but just the flagship set. I yeah, guess base, yeah. Terminology, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so that's that gives you an idea of where you know, the, the bulk of buyers are. It's not necessarily the people that are, you know, hyper-focused on the newest rookie cards or, you know, the newest autographed one-of-one -one card that's in a product or what gets pulled from here and there. You know, it's it's a much bigger pool, and that pool can expand, you know, and I'm sure they know that. The pool can expand beyond that just by giving more visibility now that they're in this, uh, in this basically, to own it, I guess, across, you know, all the different sports. Yeah, I, I would say I'm certainly in the optimistic camp there because since Fanatics wants to have their hands in everything, I'm hoping they do have a, a full view, you know, kind of approach to the hobby. And I hope that it, it benefits everyone in the hobby. I may be foolishly optimistic. But. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's such a huge change. Um, we've never seen anything like this. And, uh, you know, they really haven't even, they've acknowledged it in public. Uh, Michael Rubin, who, who, you know, basically owns the company, runs the company and, you know, he's acknowledged it, but they really haven't. And it's logical because the licenses, the current licenses, are still in effect, but they haven't really even acknowledged that, yes, we're taking over and, you know, here's what our plans are and this is what we're going to do. So it's all still a big mystery and it might be a big mystery for another, for another, uh, who knows, Three, months four, or another yeah. year. Yeah. We just don't know. Um, but hopefully they're building a good team that, that is going to work on this. Um, I, I don't have any in, you know, insight in terms of what they're, you know what they're doing um but hopefully they're building a team of people who you know and whether they buy other existing company card companies and make this part who knows you know we just don't know at this point but hopefully they're um 
they're bringing in some people from the hobby as it is now who really understand this you know and, and where the collector mentality is I, I hope that's the case and i wouldn't be surprised too if maybe there are some legal challenges that happen because this is such a you know we mentioned the word monopoly and that's essentially you know they're they're taking over um everything and and i'm sure from a business i'm not a legal analyst or legal expert by any stretch of the imagination but i i'd be hard pressed to think that maybe somewhere along the line there might be some challenges to this who knows um what would happen if there even if there are whether anything would happen from it but um you know i, I think it's we're, we're talking a long-term time frame here um unless somehow they're able to acquire these licenses and get everything together and, and launch a lot earlier than we think um you know to, to, whether it's you know 2023 with baseball 25 26 whatever um that's a long way off so a lot can happen in that time so much of this explosion has been driven by, and you've kind of alluded to it a few times, you know, flip flippers, you know, I mean, people who, yeah. who've come in, you know, I, um, you know, they, they like daily fantasy. They see this as, a, as an extension of that, maybe a better way to do it. Cause you don't lose all your money when a guy plays bad that yeah. night, you know, you got some, some run there. So I, do you think a lot of people are going to uh, be converts? Are they going to convert from this daily fantasy flip style of sports cards to people who, you know, appreciate the cards and, and start to build their own collection and focus on that more. Yeah, I, I think there's some crossover. I, I think there are a lot of people who we all want to interact with sports in some way. And whether that's going to games or whether that's playing da daily fantasy or regular fantasy sports um, <clears throat> or collecting cards, you know, it's, and there's only so many hours in the day, you know, I, I love yeah. fantasy sports too. And, and I enjoy playing and, and, I didn't win my league this year. It was still a, still a long, fun season um, for baseball. And, and so there's, but there's just so much time, especially if you have, you know, you know, you're a dad and, and uh, um, I'm sure, you know, and a lot of people know that, you know, when you have a family and you have, you know, obligations as a parent and, and your job, if you're not in this full time, it's hard to find the time to, to carve it out. I think they're probably just hoping that, um, you know, they can convert people who maybe, aren't full to the to the gills with stuff to do and, and are looking for something to, to be involved in or um, something a little different. Maybe they, you know, there's still a lot of guys out there who did this in their, when they were, you know, kids in the eighties, nineties, whenever that, you know, maybe they've caught, kind of caught wind of it, um, but they really haven't got taken that step to buy a box or buy a card. Um, still a lot of people out there, I think that, that they can focus on and maybe, convert into collectors and I'm sure with their massive mailing list that they've got, you know, even if you've never bought more than one thing from fanatics, you're probably on their mailing list and you're, you're probably going to get hit up with uh, the opportunity to, to, to buy some cards or somehow participate in the hobby uh, once they get, get going with this. Yeah. I could even see them sending a free pack or a free box or yeah, something when yeah. you get a Jersey, you know, something yeah, like that. No doubt. Yeah. There's a lot of potential there for cross marketing. Um, you know, and they're a worldwide company too, you know, so whether you're talking uh, people who order something from overseas that maybe have nothing, no idea about uh, American basketball cards, but they're a fan of watching the NBA in France right. or Spain or wherever, uh, have a chance to present that to them um, with their regular marketing of their products. And uh, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be uh, definitely different than what you're used to for sure. Yeah, I will say I'm pretty excited about them having that broad view. It just, it feels to me, they come in, they swoop these deals out from Tops and Panini. It feels to me they have a big vision for the hobby. And, it, and then it feels like Tops and Panini were thinking too small. 
you know, in, in retrospect. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's, that there's definitely a, a truth in that. Um, it, it, a lot of times card companies can kind of become set in their ways and there's mm -hmm. a certain ecosystem that has existed for a long time, even with Panini and upper deck, um, you know, it, it, they've kind of done things the same way the, for many years. And plus, you know, they don't maybe have to their, uh, kind of sympathize with them. They, they don't have the resources that a fanatics does. They don't have the money. Um, you know, we're talking right. billions and billions of dollars that, that are going to be invested in this. And, and that just was not the case with upper deck and tops and Panini, you know, they're sizable companies, but when it comes to, you know, getting the investment from the leagues and the teams, all of a sudden now you're talking a whole different ball game. Um, and so, uh, it, it made some sense that this all happened based on what's happening with the card industry. You know, they, we posted a link in, in a notes column that I did uh, this week about, you know, the wall street journal did a story about how the two leagues got together, the players associations, I should say for the NFL and NBA um, and saw this kind of untapped resource in the trading card industry and said, you know, we need to pool our, interest together and see if we can't make more money from this. And obviously that turned into this gigantic deal now that fanatics has done. Um, so they were a natural partner for them. Um, but that's, you know, when, when the leagues and teams got involved, the whole thing kind of changed and the whole narrative changed in terms of what could be done. In, in that article, it's Tony Clark, head of the MLBPA and then Demore Smith, right. For the NFL. Right. Right. When do you remember when they because I thought they were talking like when the NFL was on lockout like 2011 when they were talking about, hey, we need to we need to leverage ourselves better. Or am I off there? It may have been the NBA. Do you remember when it was? That's just. Well, off, yeah, I, I think there have probably been discussions going on for a long time. But four years ago is when they first kind of met to to create what essentially became one team partners. Um, and it involves not just those two, but, you know, they now they've got uh the women's national soccer team involved and they've got uh, MLS, you know, and, and so it's become a much bigger thing. He called it, you know, one of the biggest minority and female owned businesses that you've never heard of uh, because there's tremendous stakes involved with players. So um, it, it, it took a little while to get going, but I think the, the genesis of it was four years ago. Um, and then obviously they acquired some investors and they're still acquiring investors to, to go into this this deal that they have um it's beyond my scope of business uh knowledge to, to understand it all but um that was kind of you know this, these partnerships that never existed before are a big reason why we're seeing what we're seeing in the trading card space uh or we'll see in the next few years yep and i mean to your point i mean i'm excited about it i do think it's good that that shift kind of in the model i guess in the hobby because now the players are invested in the sports cards and I mean, to what extent, you know, maybe not that much, but hopefully that little bit of investment, you know, hopefully it makes the hobby a little bit better on the back end. Right, right. Yeah, I, I definitely, uh, it, it will be interesting to see what methods they use to get the players involved and uh, you know, to where it's not just, you know, hey, what's our cut? It's, you know, we need to take a part in this and we need to, um, to actually be out there breaking boxes and packs and, and sharing what we can from our lives to make collectors lives a little better in some way. I don't, I'm not sure how they'll do that, but uh, I, it'll definitely happen. Yep. And okay. So we got time for maybe one or two more questions here. Um, I guess, let me ask you this. Um, is there something in the hobby you think people 
are underappreciating. And I don't mean this in like this, oh, this card's super undervalued. I don't mean that, but I just mean, is there something out there that, you know, you really find that you enjoy or you think that is really unique and the hobby just hasn't picked it up yet? I think there's a ton of that in the memorabilia space. Um, I mentioned programs, that, <clears throat> excuse me, programs in your books earlier. And I know that's kind of maybe boring for some people, but I think, you know, even if that's not what you like or you don't have the space to collect that kind of stuff, and I don't have space to collect as much of it as I used to, but um, I, I think, you know, there's simple, you know, photographs that you can, you can buy historic photographs that were in newspaper archives of some really phenomenal moments for prices that are less than what you'll pay for a box of high-end cards, way less in many cases. And those are, you know, can't really say they're one of a kind because newspaper archives existed all over the country and photo archives, but, you know, there's not a huge amount of those things. You know, how mm -hmm. many survived purges of, of right. newsrooms over the years? It's, but it's amazing what comes out um, in some of these auctions um, online for photographs. Um, that's one area that, that I think is really tremendously undervalued. Um, tickets is another thing. We're seeing the ticket, and the ticket market's picked up here in the last few years, or last few months. But um, I, I think, you know, we're, we're seeing physical tickets go away now because of the push to digital uh, mm. means of entry into sporting events. And, so, and some of those old tickets are just works of art, um, you know, especially college football tickets. Uh, and, and again, I go back to how many were saved, especially at some of these milestone events where maybe there were only 10, 15,000 people in the stands um, years ago, maybe not expecting a no-hitter or not expecting uh, some great milestone to occur. Maybe there was and there just wasn't interest. You know, we used to see crowds at baseball games all the time um, years ago, 10, 15,000 people, sometimes less than that. And how many of them saved their ticket stubs? So little things like that, I think, are are probably underappreciated and undervalued. You kind of have to think beyond the card space um, and, and, and look at, you know, just go to, go to a show and, and find a dealer that carries a lot of that stuff and just start looking through it. And you can get all kinds of ideas for um, things to collect that are a little off the beaten path that um, are historically relevant and historically really cool to own, just cool stuff to have in your collection. And they don't cost that much, uh, but it's just a matter of kind of getting out there and thumbing through boxes and looking online for things that um, you maybe weren't expecting to look at uh, when you talked about collecting. Yeah, I would say, you know, to my surprise, one of the favorite one of my favorite pieces in my collection is I have I have the the program from the first game, the first series of games at the Astrodome. It, oh, you know, yeah. yeah, it's kind of passed down in my you know, I'm in Houston. And so it's just kind of passed down. I got it from my grandpa. And like, to, to your point earlier, you talked about like depth, you know, there's a lot of depth in that you can thumb through the program. It talks about, it was a, it was a three team series, the Astros, the Orioles and the Yankees. And, you know, it's got details about all the teams, about the dome itself. And like, it is really interesting, the depth that you can get out of those programs. Uh, if it's, you know, something that you're interested in. Mickey Mantle hit the first home run in the Astrodome, I think, in an exhibition game, didn't he? That's, yep, he did. The first home run in the Astrodome was by Mickey Mantle, and uh, my family calls him Mackie Mantle because I don't <laughs> it's like a great grandpa or something like damn old Mackie Mantle. You know, that's, he, he didn't like him too much. So, <laughs> but okay, Rich. Well, thank you so much for the time. This was a great discussion. I really appreci appreciate your uh, perspective and, and thoughts on the hobbies. And, um, you know, we'll link Sports Collectors Daily you know, in the description, check it out. You know, Rich, is there anything else you'd like to say before we uh, end it? 
Well, I appreciate the time, Dakota, to bring me on here and, and appreciate everybody that uh, has come to the website over the last 15 years. And uh, good luck with your uh, channel. And, and you've got a, a really uh, fun perspective on things. And then it sounds like you're off to a great start. So good luck to you. And, and uh, hopefully you'll you'll expand your audience as time goes on. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Same to you as well. <laughs> hopefully it keeps expanding. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Rich. Thank you again. And thank you so much, everybody, for watching. Hope you have a great day.